Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Steve, good morning and welcome. Good morning, GBZ. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Well, I just spent about two hours watching uh, the Donald Trump rally in Georgia, so I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, that's uh, I, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to play off that one. There's too just too many ways I can go with that particular comment. But but, uh, but what the, was the, the sac- I was just the yeah. sacrifices I make for this show, Glenn. <laughs> they they are not unnoticed. Steve. people are watching. People do do know what you do for uh, weekend mornings, and we do appreciate it. Uh, well, let's, Steve, let's start with that. The, uh, the president's in Georgia. There's a runoff race between. Uh, senators, two Senate seats are are up in the air right now, which could make a huge difference in the U.S. Senate if they go Republican or if they go Democratic. What was he saying in the rally? Well, this is uh, ostensibly a rally for those two Georgia senators um, who need to win, or at least one of them needs to win for the Republicans to keep control uh, of the Senate um, during a Biden administration. So there was a small portion of it that was about getting the vote out for those two senators, but it was really the list of grievances about how unfairly uh, the election went for Donald Trump, how the governor of Georgia isn't sticking up for him and fighting for him about how Donald Trump should have won in every state. He went through in detail the numbers in Pennsylvania and and Wisconsin and and the other states that he lost as well. So this was just a vintage Trump rally. It might have been the last Trump rally we see of him as president, you know, Mm -hmm. with Air Force One in the background and and the Secret Service all aligned around him. So a little sentimental for him, maybe. (laughs) Um, uh, Maybe emphasis on the mental part. But anyway, (laughs) okay, Uh, we'll leave that one alone. Uh, Steve, as do you think at this point that he will be able to do what I believe that rally was supposed to do, which is really get the vote out? Because already there are a lot of Republicans, especially in the state of Georgia, the Republican governor who have come out and said that, you know, all of this stuff that he keeps saying about how the vote wasn't fair, it was a fair vote. They certified it in Georgia. They did two recounts. I've read commentary that is saying that he is actually starting to damage some of the Republicans' relationship with Republicans, uh, and which might make mean that they don't turn out to vote the way they need to. Well, he, he's sending very mixed messages. On, on the one hand, he, he said, you know, this morning, our time, he said that if the Democrats get back the Senate, it, the United States is going to literally turn communist. <laughs> he, he's gone beyond socialism, and we're now going to have a communist country um, if the Democrats, when they, they played video of Elizabeth Warren and others at the rally um, talking about what will happen, they, they had Chuck Schumer's comments that the whole world changes if, if, if the Democrats can, can win and, and then put their agenda in place. Yeah. So that is the, the message to get the Republicans to come out to vote. But on the other hand, he was attacking uh, the governor of Georgia. He was saying it wasn't a fair system. He's saying they don't have proper processes in place in Georgia to have a fair election. So if you're telling people they aren't going to have a fair election and the system is rigged, why are you going to go out to vote if you think you're going to lose regardless of if you cast that vote for for a Republican? So it was mixed today and we're going to have to see what happens over the next you know, in, in, you know, next five weeks or so until January 5th or a little, little bit less than that now um, to see how people are going to turn out. So Today was was kind of you could take it both ways. Very confusing, I think, for some voters. Is anyone even listening to the polls on this after what happened uh, in November with the general election? Well, you saw, you know what, you had a, a, a real poll, which, of course, was was the the election itself. 
Um, the incumbent senator for Georgia, one of them got less than 50 percent of the vote and his challenger was within two points. So that's a very close election. You know that regardless of what the polls say. The other, um, you know, the other candidate, uh, the other runoff um, had met multiple candidates in there. It wasn't just down to two. So that one is very hard to tell. So clearly Georgia is a very, very tight state. It's, it's purple. It's not blue. It's not red. So we know the polls are basically going to be meaningless going into into Election Day on this one. And, and it really it all depends on the ground game. Who comes out to vote? Can Trump bring out the Republican voters or is he going to depress uh, the Republican voters? And can the Democrats get their voters to come out on January 5th? That's always the question, isn't it? Because the um, the the idea of disenfranchisement is one that has been talked about quite a lot. Uh, in recent years, I believe there have been a number of different things that have happened within the state of Georgia that have sought to limit the uh, ability of especially low-income minorities to, to vote. I'm not sure where all that stands right now, to be honest with you. Do you have any insight into that, uh, some of those laws and things, and, and if that might make a difference for uh, what we would assume would be a Democratic vote? possibly a more minority vote. Well, I mean, if you even look to the history of, of why you have a runoff races on January 5th, and remember, these were the Democrats who did this back when, when they were the majority party in Georgia, and the thought was it's going to advantage the white vote um, because poor people aren't necessarily going to be able to come out um, and vote for a second time, taking another it's day a Tuesday. off, especially coming. Yeah. Get Tuesday coming off of the holidays where they've just had, you know, not been working. And so the, the thought was always this would advantage the white candidate, again, done by Democrats initially. Now it advantages Republicans mm-hmm. in a state like Georgia. Can that be overcome now? Are the stakes so high and people recognize what's what's needed that everybody's going to come out to vote regardless of race? So historically, this did advantage white candidates. I don't know that that's going to be the case um, you know, in 2021. Yeah. Okay, Steve, we'll keep an eye on that. That's a little too early to tell which direction that's going to go, but certainly a very hot race, probably the most important runoff race for sure in the U.S. Uh, coming up in January on the 5th. Uh, let's come back here to Singapore, a huge moment for business and for individuals on Friday when the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the MAS, announced the first full digital bank license that's going to go to the Grab Singtel Consortium and tech giant C. Uh, how big of a deal is this for, let, let's look maybe more in the business context. Well, you, you have two trends kind of going in, in business right now. One kind of on the sustainability front, which is, you know, a movement towards financial inclusion, right? Is how do we get the non-banked into the banking sector? And, and Or in Singapore, how do you lower costs for those who can't you know, who aren't necessarily being able to afford the, the more traditional banks or it's more difficult for them. So you have one trend on, on financial inclusion. You have another trend on technology and how can we use data um, and all the data you get on customers to, to provide a better customer service. Digital banking hits both of those things, mm. right? So if you have a digital bank, the thought would be that the cost should be a lot lower. You don't have ATM machines. You don't have physical branches. So maybe you can give a higher interest rate when it comes to right. savings. Maybe you can have fewer fees when it comes to, to the cost of, of getting an account or maintaining an account or even opening up with a, a minimum. And so both of those trends are going to be helpful in Singapore by by offering higher rates for savings and and lower costs to get maybe micro uh, SMEs into businesses or getting people who aren't 
so much into the traditional banking sector access uh, to financial services. So you've got that trend. And when you've got, you know, a bank might have information on on a customer, um, you know, they'll have some information, but nothing like Grab would have, nothing like yeah. C would have. It's mm-hmm. these millions and millions of transactions and know what you want, know what you order. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can tailor services better. So mm-hmm. it should be a benefit uh, to the consumer from a financial inclusion perspective, from getting better services. You have security issues um, that you have to keep in mind. You have to make sure that the regulators are looking at, at, at these banks, no different than traditional banks. So there's challenges, but a lot of opportunities too. And Singapore is going to be at the forefront of it. Yeah, they also uh, granted wholesale bank licenses as well. Uh, so that on the more institutional side, that should uh, open up some opportunities there. Um, very interesting to see how that goes. Of course, the you know all all of the traditional banks now will have to start looking at their business model, right? Because they sink so much into brick and mortar, whether it's the actual offices or the bank branches or the, even the ATM machines around town. Uh, that they, I, I just wonder what what their competition, uh, what their ability to compete will look like going forward. You know, I had a, a, a friend who works at one of these, you know, one of these traditional banks, and he used to say that, you know, there's all these companies would say they're fintech, and there's no such thing as is fintech, right? Financial, you know, combining financial and, and technology. It's either bank out of it. So if you call yourself fintech, but you don't have a banking license, you're, you're not able to offer those services, and that this is going to, this is going to help the, the, the bank themselves. But now the government is saying we are going to recognize fintech and we're going to license them as banks and we're going to allow them to take deposits and give loans and offer credit cards and be in competition with traditional banks. So the traditional banks have a huge advantage. They have a lot of customers. They mm-hmm. have that institutional knowledge, but they're going to have to adapt. So you've got disruption going both ways. It should be good for the consumer in the long run. And I think you can have confidence the regulators here are going to make that happen. In other markets, maybe not as much. You may worry a little bit about incumbent power. But here it's really going to this disruption should benefit consumers in the long term. And it's going to disrupt the existing the existing banks if they if they if they allow that to happen without a doubt. Yeah. Talking with Steve Oaken, senior advisor at McClarty Associates. Steve, let's talk about uh, Hong Kong. The RISE Conference, which is an annual tech conference, one of the most important ones, certainly one of the most high-profile ones in Asia, just announced the other day that they are going to move their conference to KL from Hong Kong. Now, the organizer says it has nothing to do with the political situation. They've been thinking about doing this since 2018, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is they're going, and that is a a very high-profile decampment from Hong Kong. What does that mean? Well, no, I mean, I think you're seeing that, that governments in certainly in Southeast Asia, but across Asia are looking to become more competitive as businesses now have new challenges or conferences have new challenges by being in Hong Kong, especially when it comes to both the national security law and ensuring that they uh that they that they stay on the right side of it, as well as dealing with sanctioned individuals like uh, Carrie Lamb by the United States because of her uh, involvement um, in, in putting into jail uh, the protesters. Uh, so you have businesses that have decamped out of Hong Kong and you see governments becoming aggressive in trying to recruit conferences and businesses to their countries. And Malaysia has been um, aggressive in doing that. And so now when you take a calculus of, well, yeah, you have more of the institutions 
in Hong Kong. You have more of the ecosystem in Hong Kong. You have a much larger base to work from in Hong Kong. But if Malaysia can offer you some incentives, um, and now that you have more risk for doing business in Hong Kong, you go to Malaysia, you go to Singapore, you go to Thailand. Um, And so this is indicative of that. No one's going to say, but for the national security law, we left Hong Kong, but it certainly has to be part part of the reason. And I don't think this is going to be the last of business, be it a corporate or uh, a conference that is going to go elsewhere that had traditionally been in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I would say the, the, the people at the uh, Hong Kong Tourism uh, Association need to uh, take notice if they haven't already. I'm sure they've already taken notice all they can, but there's probably not much they can do. But that, you know, when you start seeing conferences like that leave, uh, it is not a good sign for a, an economy, for a, a, a destination like Hong Kong that relies so heavily on that convention and tourism business. You know, now look, Hong Kong is still going to be a critical player, especially when it comes to the greater China market. And in having a, a conference that focuses certainly on China, um, but also you want to bring in the financial aspects of Hong Kong and, and all of the infrastructure and institutions that are there. So Hong Kong is going to continue to get certain conferences, but now you've opened up the playing field much wider and you see technology companies, especially um, moving to uh, you know to South Korea, for example, or moving to Singapore, you see mm. some banking splitting their operations. Some of it stays in Hong Kong, but then they move some of it down to Singapore. And you're going to see regional and global conferences as well. Say Hong Kong, the only we have anymore. And there's risk now. There's there's risk from the national security law. But what you say anywhere in the world. You can be held accountable in Hong Kong and can be prosecuted in Hong Kong if it violates the national security law. That is a risk. What are your customers going to say? What are your employees going to say? Um, And so there's reason to go elsewhere. And you see other countries taking advantage of that, offering up new opportunities. So this isn't going to be the last. That's for sure. Talking with Steve Oaken, senior advisor, McClarty Associates. Steve, finally, the Biden administration has been going pretty hard and fast uh, putting together cabinet members at least floating the names out there. Of course, they have to be approved by the Senate. Janet Yellen came up this week. Uh, she was the former chair of the Federal Reserve, and now she's being tapped for the administration. Good pick? Oh, a great pick. I mean, she, she's, she's, you need this experience right now because you need to have not a corporate person sitting in the Treasury Department, um, but you need somebody with government experience who understands mm. the interaction of monetary policy and fiscal policy for trying to get out of the economic crisis. It is going to live in the United States long past the coronavirus and, and when the vaccine finally rolls out and the pandemic itself gets under control. Look, she's the first person ever who's going to lead the Treasury, the Fed, and the White House Council on Economic Advisors in her career. That's exactly what you want right now. You need a close relationship between you know, the Fed uh, and and the, the Treasury to get that interaction between monetary um, and fiscal policy. And, and the Fed chairman Powell served under Janet Yellen when mm. she was at the Fed. So they have that good working relationship that it doesn't seem that the current Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has with, with Chairman Powell 
right now. She is a moderate. And so she is going to get through the Senate. She is going to be confirmed. Um, you know, Senator Grassley, the Republican chair of the of the Senate Finance Committee, has come out and, and spoken very favorably of her, of course, saying we need to see her background materials. But she's already been confirmed to, to other positions. Uh, so shouldn't be an issue. So she is a, a great pick in, in what you need to try and focus on how you get the country out of the pandemic and that you also need to take a look at workers and labor. And she has a, a lot of experience and, and a focus there, too. And many of the senators have already voted for her before when she was at the Fed. So it'd be hard for them, especially the Republicans, to vote against her now, wouldn't it? Oh, it would. And, you know, and, and it, it will be the, the, the challenge she's going to have working with the Republicans, because, you know, after Donald Trump leaves office, all of a sudden the Republicans are going to find religion again on, on the deficit mm. uh, and the debt. And, you know, for four years, they didn't care about the deficit and the debt. And they've watched it skyrocket to, the, to, to, to ever higher levels. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to care about it again. Yeah. And so Janet mm-hmm. Yellen is going to have that credibility to say, look, interest rates are low. We are in the worst economic crisis we've had in, in, in 100 years. We have got to spend. We've got to support businesses. We've got to support workers. And we'll worry about the, the debt and the, uh, and the deficit later. And she'll have more credibility than almost anybody else in, in making that argument. Certainly the economic can cannot be kicked down the road any further than it's already been uh, at this point. So we'll see what her plan is to, to come up and deal with that. Uh, Steve Hogan, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Always great, GBZ. Talk to you soon. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.